What's up, everybody? So I decided uh, for episode six, I was going to do something a little bit different. You know, we've been focusing a lot on American music, and I wanted to go travel overseas and do something fun. So this is going to be a Roomba Flamenca episode. I'm going to start it off with Los Chunguitos with Ike Dolor. And... Uh, Unfortunately, I don't have the uh, release here because this is just on a, you know, their 30 best songs album, but whatever. It's a great track, so let's run it. Sin decirle adiós, hay que dolor, como él me abandonó, hay que dolor, y solo me dejó, hay que dolor, 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 hay que dolor. Por más que me pregunto, no encuentro la razón, hay que dolor, para dejar más sin, hay que dolor, sin una aplicación, hay que dolor. You know, you might be curious why I picked this genre of music. When I was a kid, uh, this is what my parents listened to a lot. Um, you know, my parents are now separated, and, uh, you know, this is sort of what I grew up on. You know, a lot of classic rock and other stuff like that, too, but, um, you know, this was sort of a, uh, one of the primary genres of music uh, that I used to listen to, which um, made it the perfect cover for this awesome April Fool's Day prank, because it is 420, and this is the marijuana episode.
that is right. It is the 420 Marijuana episode sponsored by One Roots. Shout out to Salty Cultivation. Shout out to Captain Nemo Cannabis. Shout out to nobody else. <laughs> that was Bong Ripper with Hate Ashbury Part 4 off of their 2008 full length Hate Ashbury, named for the center of the Summer of Love. Don't worry, though. This episode's not going to be all uh, bummer, like miserable doom metal. It's actually going to be a history lesson. Uh, A history lesson of marijuana and music. We came to prominence in the jazz clubs. Bordellos. Music wasn't exactly the uh, primary focus in these places, right? It was uh, sort of a backdrop to conversations, smoky rooms, and drinks, and dancing. Um, 
way marijuana affects you is different than the way alcohol affects you. And, you know, that was something that they sort of liked. Uh, Sashmo actually said in his own biography, uh, we always looked at pot as a sort of medicine, a cheap drunk, and with much better thoughts than one that's full of liquor. Um, so yeah, uh, that is the man himself on the plant itself. Um, and as far as influences go, yeah, Armstrong's goes beyond jazz, right? The bleh, improvisational style um, that he and other musicians of his time attributed to pot uh, kind of permanently changed the landscape of music. Uh, you know, obviously back in that era, it was just jazz, swing, and brass music um, uh, by making a solo improvisationalist uh, sort of the focal point of the music. But, uh, you know, this carried over to soloists in every genre of American popular music uh, thereafter, you know what I mean? So... So while Armstrong built his style off the sound of existing jazz trumpeters, he also uh, was looking for less orthodox influences, uh, such as like studying clarinetists and other instrumentalists unrelated to the trumpet. Um, uh, John Burke's Dizzy Gillespie, um, one of the collaborators on the song we are currently listening to, uh, actually famously said uh, of Satchmo uh, that without him, uh, there would be no... Uh, wow, well, that's a weird quote to not say. He said, no him, no me. That's the direct quote. Um, you know, uh, with that, effectively, that's you know an architect of modern jazz uh, acknowledging that without... Um, Armstrong's complex and unique style, uh, modern jazz as it would be, uh, couldn't possibly exist. Um, so, with all that being said, marijuana use was on the rise in the early 20s with these improvisational jazz soloists making music and causing an uproar in white communities.
even though uh, back in these days marijuana was effectively exclusively known to musicians and, you know, the occasional person hanging out at jazz clubs who weren't musicians, um, because it was associated in, like, wild and crazy improvisational music and behavior and with black people and Hispanic people, uh, white authorities still saw a need to eradicate. And uh, as a result, they launched this massive racist press campaign, uh, which set an unseemly and dark precedent for anti-pod propaganda to come. Uh, you know, as you probably very well know, uh, even leading up to, or even as far as today, uh, mar- anti-marijuana propaganda has an oddly... Uh, or ha- always has oddly racist overtones. Um, New Orleans would make pot illegal in 1923, uh, with the whole state following suit in 1927, making it among the first 15 states to do so. The legalization process required this racism uh, that I was talking about before, um, because cannabis had being, been sold by druggists as medicinal tinctures, candies, and even pure hash uh, since the early 1800s. Um, but it was much, much easier to demonize, uh, you know, Negro jazz musicians smoking reefers, uh, than whites taking medicine. Um, Armstrong actually told biographers shortly before his death in 1921, um, of a time he was jailed, uh, after being ratted on by some dude, for uh, smoking a joint in the parking lot of the Cotton Club. Uh, he, uh, he admitted that several movie stars had approached him saying they had heard of his arrest but thought Mary Warner was a woman uh, and that he was with a prostitute. Um, still, despite its lack of recognizability, uh, it was... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um... It's just ridiculous that they were like, oh, I thought it was a lady. It was that, you know, the, the point of that story is that it was so unrecognizable to non-musicians. Um, but still, the intolerance was getting him arrested and warranted some uh, clandestine nature. Um, however, with that, references to marijuana and music became uh, commonplace, uh, you know, with titles such as T for Two, uh, Lotus Blossom, and you know more obvious ones like smoking reefers many of which have been reissued on compilations like reefer songs or viper mad blues hey cats it's four o'clock in the morning i just left the v disc studios here we are in harlem everybody's here but the police and they'll be here any minute it's high time, so catch the song. Here it is. Say, I dreamed about a reef of five feet long. A mighty mess, but not too strong. You'll be high, but not for long. If you're a viper. The king of everything. I got to go, got to go, got to go, got to be high before I swing. Let the bells ring, ding dong ding. If you're a viper, say you know you're high when your throat 
gets dry, mm, everything's dandy. Ah, oh, yes, you run down to the candy store, bust your conk on peppermint candy. Then you know your little brown body's scent. You don't give a darn if you took well, this is Fats Waller with If You're a Viper from 1938. A viper became the term of the time for potheads and tokers. Uh, it was kind of like calling somebody a stoner nowadays. Uh, would be a viper. Um, you know, picture it. A uh, snake hissing, uh, puffs of a joint. Um, you know, the musicians sort of embraced that term um, and used it to celebrate a new hero, the weed man. Uh, which brings us to the story of Milton Mez Mesro, uh, one of the self-proclaimed vipers who surrounded Satchmo, um, began to learn jazz and surrounded himself with black musicians, resolved to become a Negro. And yes, that is something he himself said. Um, soon, uh, he was playing Chicago speakeasies during the Roaring Twenties, and then moved to Harlem as Prohibition ended. Uh... While he couldn't exactly hack it with the talented Harlem musicians, he did find that his source of weed was better. Uh, his Mexican loco weed, as it was called, uh, would help him break into the culture. Uh, and soon his name would synonymous with the plant itself. If we wanted to go back to the beginning of the song that we're listening to right now, we could actually hear the term Mighty Mez, but not too strong, uh, in a reference to uh, the name Mezro, but also to the plant of which he was the provider. Um, Mez actually spoke on the effects of marijuana. Uh, this is a quote. Uh, the first thing I noticed was that I began to hear my saxophone as if it was in my head. Then I began to feel the vibrations of the reed much more pronounced against my lip. My head buzzed like a loudspeaker. I found that I was slurring much better, putting just the right feeling into my phrases. I was really coming on. All the notes came easing out of my horn like they'd already been made up, greased and stuffed into the bell, all without an ounce of effort. Well, I know that sounds good, but the government didn't think so. So they rallied against jazz musicians. With former commissioner of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, Harry J. Anslinger, chiefly responsible for prohibition in the United States, having said of why he went after musicians, the chiefest effect, as far as we were concerned, was that it lengthens the sense of time, and therefore they could get more grace beats into their music than if they simply followed the written copy. In other words, if you're a musician, you're going to play the thing the way it's printed. But if you're using marijuana, you're going to work in about twice as much music between the first note and the second note. That's what made jazz musicians. The idea that they could jazz things up, liven them up, you see. Um, so his hatred of marijuana and jazz music actually went hand in hand. Um, and even after he got it banned in 1937, uh, he marijuana, not jazz music, obviously. Uh, he continued to sort of instruct local agents that he had around the country to uh, act against jazz musicians and be ready to round them all up um, as part of like a 
Chaz uh, Pogrom. Um, he did attempt to request uh, financial support uh, for that from Congress, and uh, that fell apart. Um, because uh, the news reached the public um, who love jazz, and thousands of people wrote letters. Um, oh, fun fact. Uh, before he was Malcolm X, Harlem Red, or Stagger Lee, uh, was a pot dealer who sold pre-rolls to uh, jazz musicians and was notorious for uh, having a penchant for fooling around with white women. So, nice. between straight and stoned was the strongest by all accounts was the 1960s. The prophet Bob Dylan, a man who sang garbled lyrics in a nasal whine that defied inter... (sighs) Bob Dylan, I'm sorry, I, I got carried away listening to this song. Bob Dylan's music defied interpretation. Um, however, a couple tokes and his lyrics began to strike chords. Charles T. Tart noted that smoking creates an ability to understand things, not clear when sober, an experience he called clearly relevant to understanding rock music. Um, Bob Dylan said it himself. Everybody must get stoned. Stone you when you're playing your guitar. Yes, but I would not feel so all alone.
Things really kicked off on August 28th of 1964 when Bob Dylan met the Beatles in their New York hotel room. And that doofus Ringo picked up one of Bob Dylan's preferred joints and smoked the entire thing, not understanding at all how things work. From that day forward, through what is almost universally hailed as the most creatively fertile period of any pop group in history, the Beatles lived in a cloud of smoke. According to Paul McCartney, all mentions of high or grass or smoke were calculated in the Beatles' music. By the summer of 1965, the height of Beatlemania and the release of Help, John Lennon said, We had gone beyond comprehension. We were smoking marijuana for breakfast. We were well into marijuana and nobody could communicate with us because we were just glazed eyes, giggling all the time. He even claims they smoked weed in Buckingham Palace. This also launched a series of arrests and hassles with the law for John Paul and my and his friends, which would continue into their adulthood. In 1972, Lester Grinspoon appeared as a witness on behalf of John Lennon and testified that the U.S. Attorney General had had conspired a plot to get John and Yoko Ono kicked out of the country on marijuana charges after they'd become involved in anti-Vietnam War activities. Uh, Grinspoon would later say that he told John um, how cannabis appeared to make it possible for him to hear his music for the first time in much the same way that when Ginsburg, that Allen Ginsberg had seen Cezanne for the first time when he purposely smoked cannabis before setting out for the Museum of Modern Art to determine, with the help of marijuana, would break through his incapacity to relate to Cezanne. Uh, John was quick to reply that he had experienced only one facet of what marijuana could do for music, and that he thought it did wonders for composing and making music as well as listening to it. Must be the 
1966. Donovan was uh, another musician beginning to feel the, uh, the effects of the conservative push against weed um, in the 1960s. Well, you might be wondering why I skipped from like 1930 to 1960. It's because there's just a lot of blues and it's it's the same story for a lot of this. You know what I mean? Like it's a lot of smoking weed, a lot of improvisational music that leads to new genres. So now I'm talking about rock and roll. Um, anyway, uh, you know, across the pond, um, Donovan was receiving fines and press scrutiny for his marijuana use um, because he was perceived as a threat to decent society. Um, I think it had a little bit to do with like decadence back then, you know, and sin. Uh, I think actually he was literally called decadent by the Daily Mail. Um, anyway, all this culminated in a police raid on Redlands, Keith Richards' West Sussex home, uh, in February of 1967, based on a tip from News of the World. Um, apparently a small stoned gathering was in progress uh, that included a nude 20-year-old Marianne Faithful draped in a fur rug and allegedly heavily stoned. Uh, a judge instructed the jury to disregard her testimony that she had not been smoking uh, and levied a sentence of one year in prison plus costs for allowing uh, his house to be used as a venue for the consumption of what was legally called Indian hemp. Um... Wow, that's ridiculous. Keith Richards, I forgot to write his name. Um, Keith Richards is the one who got the one-year sentence. Uh, Mick Jagger also got three months for possession of legally purchased pet pills. Um, now, the circumstances of these charges were sketchy, uh, but they pointed to a new emerging issue, which is a conservative movement against rock and against weed. Um, all of this prompted a 1967 ad in the Times declaring that the law against marijuana is immoral in principle and unworkable in practice. It was signed by over 60 luminaries of the time, including Jonathan Aitken, Tariq Ali, David Dimbleby, Herbert Kreitzmer, George Melly, and all four Beatles. The ad was placed by Soma, named for Aldous Huxley's Euphorian in a Brave New World, and cited medical opinion that cannabis is innocuous. It also quoted Spinoza, in that all laws which can be violated without doing anyone any injury are laughed at, and proposed a five-point plan to repeal cannabis prohibition. <sighs> at this time, most people still hadn't tried cannabis. However, it was intrinsically intertwined with rock music. This is Blue Cheer with Magnolia, Caboose, Babyfinger, and Babylon.
drug scene as it related to rock sort of became this weird exclusive and esoteric club uh, that valued wealth and love and peace and chemically enhanced consciousness rather than wealth and possessions. Uh, this was being proselytized by the likes of Timothy Leary, uh, the American acid guru. Uh, but this music hitting the mainstream would soon change all of that. Uh, the Summer of Love in 1967 and the period it brought about the hippie movement that so many of our parents participated in brought cannabis use to the forefront of white, young America in Haight-Ashbury District, where flower power was first documented in The Happenings, chronicled by Tom Wolfe in the Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. Um, here, LSD provided the inspiration for free-form open events, music festivals, at which groups performed lengthy improvisations 
before back projections of swirling colors while audiences would look around wildly or loon around wildly. However, as Harry Shapiro said, LSD was the icing on the cake and marijuana was its basic ingredient. 